2: Hello, friends. Welcome to another off-season edition of the Kirk Your Enthusiasm podcast. It's in the Mads Moneyball feed, which you should already know. Uh, Continuing in our kind of series of trying to introduce... Our podcast listeners, to the uh, people who contribute to our site today, I have uh, Matthew Phillips. You've heard Matthew on the podcast before because he's probably one of like two people out of our Slack channel that is like willing to go on at relatively little notice. Everyone else always gets annoyed with me. Matt, how are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. So... We're recording on monday i think this is going to go up tuesday evening if i have my scheduling down correctly and we're kind of slowly working our way towards the regular season um but before we kind of get into kind of our thoughts about that i wanted to you know walk back a little bit and um for people who don't know matthew joined our site as a result of uh, kind of being a regular contributor within uh the green rooms that i would host Really enjoyed things he had to say, commentary, and uh, he had actually applied in the fall whenever I was putting uh, out for new contributors, but um, that was, in in retrospect, this is very funny because you didn't uh, attach any writing samples and I just, I didn't have the time to look at anybody that didn't do that. And, uh, you know, uh, I invited you on and you've been writing with us pretty consistently for what is it now, about about six months?
1: Uh, Yeah, that seems about right. And it's fun. It's just part of work is occasionally I get crazy busy and that was one of those times. <laughs>
2: well, and, and you know, you have been, how long do you think you've been reading the site?
1: Oh, it's been, whew, it's been, I would say at least 10 years. So it's, okay. it's definitely been a while.
2: So you've, you've been around for a lot of the weird crap that we used to do it's it's i love the commenters today when it's like what is this stuff and it's like guys you should have seen us like three years after the title when there was just like we didn't understand it quite yet but we were in like uh like the malaise of of the mavericks being pretty bad and us not knowing how to process it yet so everything that was on the site back then if you go look at the archives every third story is something truly bizarre uh, and, and now, now we've kind of lost that, that weirdness, which there are times that I miss it. And then there are times when I'm like, okay, I, I, I like the fact that we just kind of covered the straight up stuff, but, but yeah. So, you know, why don't you, uh, just kind of walk us through, you know, cause I'm pretty sure you and I are kind of close to the same age in their thirties. Um, why don't you walk me through kind of your Mavs fandom? Because I, I think that's something I've really gotten a, a kick out of listening from our staff so far.
1: Okay, so I've been, uh, I I grew up in the Dallas area, and then I live in Corsicana, which is about an hour south of Dallas, so it's, um, I've been a Mavs fan pretty much my whole life that I can think of. I remember thinking, one of of my first Mavs memories, and this is hilarious in retrospect, is I was super high on Tony Dumas. Uh, I was convinced that he was going to be the next, I was convinced that he was going to be the next Michael Jordan. Uh, He was... Uh, if you don't remember him or if you're not that old of a Mavs fan, he is very athletic. Uh, he was a he swingman, a shooting guard slash small forward, back when those were uh, distinctive positions, as opposed to now being pretty much the same thing. Um, I remember specifically, I can't tell you the exact game, but I remember a game that the Mavericks played the Supersonics, and he just torched Gary Payton. And I was absolutely certain that he had made it, and that was it. Like, we were on our way. And then... Uh, he just wasn't. Just, this is a <laughs> phenomenal
2: callback. This is a 25-year-old callback. Like, this is not – you and Doyle, and and to a lesser extent, um, Tim, you and Doyle are really, really long-time Mavs fans. And we have some of those in the commenters. I love it because it, it's hard to contextualize, particularly to anybody that's, like, under the age of 25 now. But the Mavericks of the 90s, rivaled i think only the tampa bay buccaneers in terms of the most in-up franchise in north american professional sports they were terrible in terms of win-loss records so so if you were a fan then like this is like some some hardcore stuff here i love it
1: yeah we we were the process clippers except without the without or not the process clippers The process sixers except we weren't in the process we were just terrible like we We didn't win at all. I think we had back-to-back seasons where we combined for twenty-five wins. I think we had a twelve-win season and a thirteen-win season back-to-back, and that's just we were so bad. And then everyone was so excited about the three J's, and they would have been good. And then Jackson got hurt, and then the whole Tony Braxton thing, and it's it's all just so random. But it, it, like it, I've just I've always been a big fan of all of the four major sports teams in Dallas. I'm a location fan. And so, obviously, at that time, the Cowboys were amazing. That was, I mean, (laughs) they were just the dominant team in the world. But the Mavs were just the, I kind of think of them like some Chicago fans must think of the Cubs, is, yeah, they were terrible, but they were my team, and I just loved it. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, now that we're so far away from some of that era, there's aspects of that era that were really incredible, like... The white Mavericks uniforms of the 90s and of the 80s, too, were gorgeous. And it's the sort of thing that we just don't get on television anymore. And I don't really know what Cuban's waiting for to, to roll them out. I think they'll eventually bring them back. But it's just the the Mavs uniforms at that time were were really incredible. the The reunion arena was a weird... Like kind of a low key weird place to play basketball. I mean, so are so many NBA arenas, kind of of the seventies, eighties, and nineties. But you, know, you look at American Airlines Center now, and it's just such a, it's just such a modern like like
1: it's not boring. It's yeah, cookie
2: it's cookie cutter. cutter, and and you know just where they played then there was it was just it's such an alternative vibe to the team. That's that's fun. I didn't realize that that you went back quite that far because I didn't move to the area until nineteen ninety six. Um, and that was like post Cowboys dominance when the like I, I refer to it as the Quincy Carter error. Um, when the Cowboys were terrible too, so like late nineties. Uh, like Dallas sports fandom was was high key brutal in retrospect.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. But also, that's what see to me that's what as a fan like you live for is like you you earn your fandom of the the mm. years by being a fan through those years like i I know a lot of people who are who are bandwagoners and go around and uh, i've actually jokingly i I mentioned this in the slack yesterday how lucky you are because you're a chiefs fan and a mavericks fan yes and without without bandwagoning them after the fact you got luca and mahomes at the same time same time
2: it's pretty it's pretty wild and really you know for uh, there's one lakers fan that I'm, i'm friends with just from college who constantly kind of talks about how preposterous it is that we went from Dirk Nowitzki and, you know, he's drafted in 98, didn't play till, you know, the lockout uh, lifted. And I want to say his first game was actually in 1999 against the Sonics. Um, But it's basically from 99 straight on through where we're really blessed in having one truly, like, like transcendent superstar not like a star not like a guy that you're gonna oh you know 15 years from now I'll remember when he was good he was an all-star like an honest to goodness top 10 nba player we just transitioned from one and granted by dirk's end he wasn't the same but you know it's like the 75th anniversary coming up of, of nba uh history at least according to the the nba's rule uh, uh history books they it, it like dirk is going to be clearly there and and you know in another 25 years, like Luca will clearly be in the top 100. Like it's it's just kind of one of these these really fun things where we as fans have been kind of blessed to the point of ridiculousness. And and when you look at the long view and compare that to the 90s, where and and you know from kind of the after they lost to the Lakers was it 88 or 89 and in game set in like seven games, like the magic just. 88, yeah. So they basically experienced like 11 years in the absolute wilderness as among the worst franchises in sports and then have since gone on to 23 straight years now of, of at least some positivity on the horizon. Obviously, there have been some rough seasons, you know, in between uh, like 2017, 18, but that's just a blip compared to, you know, like a franchise like the Kings, which has been bad for 15 straight years. So I don't know. It's It's fun to think and talk about that because – that's really where I agree with you. That's where kind of um, you, you learn about the hard stuff. And that's, and, and particularly with, with kind of the overseas fans who have become Mavs fans as a result of Luca, where I think some of us will get sort of irrationally frustrated with them. Cause it's, it's like, guys, like we've seen, you know, <laughs> we we've seen kind of both, both sides of this, like this, you know, you, you can kind of tell where Mavs, like history has a tendency to repeat itself in all aspects of life. And then with the Mavericks in particular, since some of the same parties are constantly involved, (laughs) it's like, Oh, this is where this is going to go. It's, you know, and we get very, Josh and I were even talking about this last night where it's just like, we have to kind of pivot now at this point to try, you know, we're kind of frustrated with a team that has top five in the West potential. Like that's stupid. We really shouldn't be frustrated. They're going to be, they're going to be something, and that's that's really what I'm I'm looking forward to this year, and that's kind of a great transition point for you and me because, you know, I'm I'm interested in what are the things that, that you're kind of looking forward to in in the coming season.
1: Okay, um, there's a couple things. One on that top seventy five thing, this is super random, and I'll just let you think about this. There's a tiny chance that Luke is on it. I, I think so too. Not, I I know that sounds crazy because he hadn't been in there very long, but Shaq was on the top fifty, and he hadn't been there very long either. So, when there's mm. guys that are clearly going, because it was in 99, I believe, when they did the top 50. And so, or something there, 96 or whenever it was, he had only been in the league like two or three years whenever he was on it. And so, there, there's a tiny chance that Luca is on that top 75. I don't have a problem with it if he isn't because he hasn't been here very sure. long. But just there is a tiny chance he's on there too. Um, going forward to this year, just first off, for me, it's just one. I'm excited for basketball. I mean, obviously, all of the people that have anything to do with Mavs Moneyball are big Mavs fans. That's how you end up having something to do with Mavs Moneyball. Sure. Like, nobody on there is just like, man, I can't stand the Mavs. Even, even Josh, that's the most frus- frustrated of us, I believe. Like, he is a Mavs fan. And so, like, that for me is one, we're going to, I'm excited because we're going to get to see Mavs basketball. Like, that, like, it's, it's nice to be able to watch instead of just, Theorizing what's going to happen to actually be able to talk about it and to be able to see it as it's as it's going on mm-hmm. um, another thing is with Luca, I think I heard on one of your other podcasts talking about like him trying to to give himself degrees of difficulty in certain things like as far as throwing long passes and doing things as far as running. I think it helps if you view Luca as an artist as opposed to just an athlete sure. because artists, cause artists routinely challenge themselves that's why you see actors. That do movies that sometimes they they don't they don't work and they're terrible and you know everybody's like what were they thinking but it's it's just it's a way to challenge themselves and do something that people didn't think they could do and stretch themselves so I think it helps if you view Luca that way and so that's why he likes to do stuff like that that like he likes to give himself a degree of difficulty because the game is shockingly easy for him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
2: that's that's probably what. it's it's i've mentioned this in the past few podcasts it's just a reference point i hate to bring it up again but it's like his improvement in the mid-range where that's just an example of him getting better and it coming so easily like there's usually you know not to be too hokey about it but there's there's a bit of a hero's journey involved in a lot of sports where you see like people just you know dirk great example 20 2003 kind of to 2011 when he finally climbed the mountaintop. There's you know there's progress there's stumbles there's things like that whereas with Luca he has simply just gotten better and not only has he just gotten better in the nba like you can really trace it back to when he was about 13 and and if you talk to people really invested in his development and watching him he is just continually on the rise and we talk about this every offseason i mean it's only been 3 but it's it's worth talking about now it's like oh what is he going to do to get better i don't know and then he comes back in and then gets better like the the one between his his um before his rookie year from when he was real Madrid is he didn't really have a strong left hand. It wasn't a bad left hand, but like his handle was something that that was talked about. And then all of a sudden his left hand was just better. And, and not only like better, like demonstrably better to, to, you know, the point where he obviously easily won rookie of the year. So it's, that's, that's something I'm kind of looking forward to. It's, it's like a bit of a guessing game where, you know, I could see him, I really don't know. All other than kind of in shape, I, I sort of wonder if he's just going to come out of the gate as a solid three point shooter, as opposed to last year where it was a bit of a roller coaster ride, and then his his overall numbers looked good. But I don't know. It's going to be fun. Yeah,
1: I think part of the roller coaster ride with his le- with his shooting is his legs, because mm. so much of his shooting goes. With the- and so what happens, I think, is he comes in like what has happened. He's coming out of shape, and so he doesn't have his shot at first because he doesn't have the legs. Then he plays himself into shape. And he has legs and he is a knockdown shooter and we're like, hey, what's going on here? And then because of the load that he carries, he plays mm. it so he gets tired and he loses his legs and the shot goes back away. I think I really think that is what explains a lot of the the variance in his shooting throughout the season, especially last year, is that it was out of shape, then he got in shape and he just knocked everything down and then he was just tired and he no longer had legs again. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could be wrong, but that is my No, that actually makes sense because, I mean, the further
2: we get away from from last season, I think the more and more evident it it becomes that there are just certain parts of what happened last year throughout the league that you have to, you know, place in its own bucket. I don't want to necessarily say discard it. uh, But if Porzingis, for example, comes out and he looks, I don't know, even marginally mobile then we're going to have to say, all right, last year because of his knee and because of the Mavs' needs, he had to play a little more and he wasn't able to ever get his mobility correct. But now because they have, you know, there's there's not constant back-to-backs, there's not four games and five nights, he's able to be at least a little bit rested and he can be, you know, most nights he can be 80% of the player that he wants to be. And then you, know, you just basically place last season in a bucket and say, all right, we'll, we'll remember this later, but it's not really a good reference point for anything we're seeing right now. Which makes kind of Luca and really, you know, where the Mavericks are going as a whole very interesting because we had a lot of data on them in 19 and 20 about how good of an offensive team they were. Josh and I talked a little bit about this when we recorded on Sunday, which is they're capable of being so, so good. So where does the improvement on offense come? Or does the improvement on offense really come at the expense uh or does does the offense like kind of decline at the expense of the defense because Jason Kidd is such a defensive oriented coach, which is odd because i mean obviously he's a he's an unbelievable defensive guard but I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, he's, he ran offenses for his entire career and some of the best and most interesting offenses we ever saw. So it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm the, the Jason Kidd thing is probably where my mind is in terms of things that I'm most interested in seeing how it plays out because it it's the one thing
1: that I'm kind of consistently
2: pessimistic on. Okay,
1: um, I have a couple of things on that. One, sure. when you talk about last season about putting everything in a bucket, I especially think you need to put the offensive stuff in that Because eight of the top ten offenses in the history of basketball all occurred last season. Mm. The top seven and eight of the top ten. And what I think that goes to is just, like you said, everybody was tired because of the four games and five. Like, there were so many and everything. And when you're tired, it's easier to move on offense than it is on defense. And so, you literally had, like I said, eight of the top ten offenses of all time. That is... Ridiculous when you really think about it, like from a statistics <laughs> perspective, right? It's like every team in the history of basketball would have been like the Mavs were were ninth in offense in offensive rating last year, and they were 16th all time. Like that just that doesn't make sense when you think about it for how long the NBA has been around and everything. So Absolutely. I'm curious to see going forward this season if for the league as a whole, I think offense. I think this is going to be the first season in a long time where offense for the league as a whole goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not that it's going to go back to what it was, you know, in the the late two thousands when you or the mid to late two thousands when you had the Pistons and teams were scoring sixty five points a game sometimes, but man, some of those so when
2: those pop up on NBA TV, it's like what is going on here? Like the Spurs Detroit series, like huh? Like what is it? this? Is just a different bizarre, sport,
1: man. It's just a different sport. It's completely different. And then the other thing is is with, with Porzingis, this is not fun to say as a Mavs commenter necessarily, or as somebody that comes up with content about the Mavs. But so much of this Mavs season, like we we talk about, you know, this and that, and what's important. It's just if Porzingis is mobile again, and if his defense gets back to what it what it used to be, or at least some or at least somewhere between where it was this season and what it used to be, then the Mavs have a really high ceiling. If it doesn't, they don't. But yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really is that simple, but I also think that the experiment with Porzingis, if he looks bad, this is if he looks bad, will not play out nearly as long as it did last year. They gave him a lot of rope to work things out because the argument, quite understandably, is when Luka and Porzingis are on the floor, the numbers show this on offense. However, they also showed how bad they were on defense. And I just don't think Jason Kidd first year coach knowing he probably has a lot of runway is going to be able to tolerate a 7 foot 3 guy getting scored on at the rim 60% of the time like it it i just don't know i mean it, oh,
1: they'll i completely agree like yeah that's i don't i don't think we're going from there i'm just saying with the team as it is right now is i think a lot of it comes down to KP which actually the ceiling a, yeah yeah as a positive on KP by the way uh cuz i know a lot of people think that we're super negative about him and i especially them not necessarily, but uh, with the Ben Simmons thing, the idea that Kalisha had to come up with that, it made me appreciate something about KP that we haven't that seems odd, which is his professionalism and stuff. When he got dealt to the Mavs, he requested a trade to the Knicks, yeah. but I'm pretty like, I follow not just the Mavs, but the NBA in general. I didn't really know that he had requested a trade until after he got traded, yes, like, and he's not happy with his role in the Mavs, but he hasn't just come out and been like you know, he hasn't thrown a fit the way NBA players are want to yes. do these days. And I mean, like, yeah, we might want his body language to be a better, a little better and stuff, but he legitimately, like, he has tried to do what is asked of him. Sometimes he can't, sometimes the way he does it is frustrating, but he has tried to do everything that is asked of him. And I mean, like, it just seeing the way some of these other situations has blown up has made me appreciate that he is at least trying to honor his contract and to do what is asked of him. And I, and I think that that gets lost sometimes because as fans and as people that write and stuff, we are real bad about plugging people in, like like with Simmons for him. So all the people that are like, hey, you know, we can make him a rim running four that's the screener and everything. The guy has flat out said he doesn't want to do that. Like he has yeah. rebelled yeah. from doing that his whole life. And we're real bad, at not necessarily you, but like a lot of people that talk about the NBA are real bad about, well, this guy can do this. And they forget that it's an actual person and not just Mm. a set of basketball skills. And so...
2: That's probably what drives me nuts about most modern fan discourse and why I make fun of people who have like what I refer to as 2K brain, because it's just so evident where we're really forgetting that what a player can do and what a player wants to do are often completely different things. I mean, Aaron Gordon is the poster child for me at the moment where he was a bit of an idiot in Orlando. And then he just signed a deal, which I think is pretty reasonable, but a lot of people were kind of all over the map about it with the Nuggets where when he plays with the Nuggets in his role, they won a ton of games in a short period of time and he loved it because they were winning and, and, you know, winning tends to fix a lot of stuff, which is why when the Mavericks started out, I want to say it was 16 and five in 1920, you didn't hear any Porzingis complaints because they're kicking the shit out of everybody, and so it's if if they come out and do that this year at all with Bullock and and you know whatever the, the rotation may be, almost all of this griping from me down to the people who are unhappy that kid is the coach, it all goes away, and that that's
1: basically what Cuban is banking on, I think. Uh, yes, absolutely, because that's I mean it's an old saying, but winning cures everything. Like mm-hmm. it's absolutely true. Winning winning cures everything. On, on the kid front, it's – I was not happy with the hiring. Um, I have tried to – I am somewhere between you and Josh and Dalton. Uh, I'm not quite as optimistic as Dalton. I don't think that every big man that has ever played for the Mavericks is the next Brandon Ryder Tyson Chandler as a <laughs> Poor Dalton. But, uh, <laughs> I, appreciate uh, his, like, I appreciate his happiness. No, but I, I love Dalton. Like I'm not saying anything bad about that. Like, I am I'm, I'm a fan of the optimism. But I'm somewhere between y'all on the optimism scale. But I started looking for stuff to be optimistic about kid, and I'm not going to go fully into this, but I, my belief, he's never had a great point guard. Like He's never had a basketball player that understands the game the same way he does. Okay, it. that's and an the, interesting take. I like that. And so the closest thing he's had is semi-wash Deron Williams. And if you watch that, that was when Deron Williams was, I believe, 29 or 30 when he played for him the one season he was in Brooklyn. And that was the one good offense Kid ran. They were, the, mm-hmm. they were the 10th best offense in the league that year. And every other team he's had was in, you know, the the late 20s in the league. But they had Michael Carter Williams and uh, Brandon Knight running the offense for him. He can't, like, Luca will be able to understand the game the same way Kid does as far as seeing things that those guys might not have. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I think that it is possible that this turn that he runs a better offense here, because when you can see things that other people can't and you try to explain it to them, like a lot of times your message can get lost. It's why when you have a genius tutoring you in something, it doesn't always work because they can't understand what you don't understand. And so I think that's, that's one thing that can be really positive here is that Luca is the first point guard he's had that will understand the game on the same level he does. And so hopefully it ends up being a positive pairing. Yeah,
2: I, I, I can see that. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's just a lot of like, I would say at the moment, the overarching feel is optimism for the Mavericks being very good with just a large question mark. On the long-term viability of what they're trying to do, and that goes with both Porzingis, kid, etc. Um, it was all in one, you know, one kind of, huh? But as as I think you and I, I think I mentioned this this morning in the Slack. Like, it's very difficult to reconcile that question mark with the fact that all of us are really confident that they're just going to be a monster to play in the regular season. I mean, they're obviously going to have tough patches, but. The team on paper has improved in a way that they will feel much similar to the nineteen twenty Mavs than they did to the twenty twenty one Mavs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the issues that we that we forget about is that so the guard that plays next to Luca, we've been we've been trying the big playmaker, you know, with the Dillon Wright and the Josh Richardson, but both of them are. I said this in the Slack. I don't think I said this somewhere else, but they they meander. The guy, the guard that plays next to Luca, has to be a either shoot, drive, or pass immediately. They have to immediately do some action once they get the ball. Like you don't you don't get to do the Luca thing where you chill and survey the court and do all of this. Reggie Bullock is not a playmaker. He's not going to do that at all. But what he is is he will either shoot the ball when he gets it or pass it. Yep. Like, it's not – there will not be the Josh Richardson and quicksame where he's – Yeah, there's
2: no ball kick. stopping.
1: Like, he's not going to stand there. And, and so, I think this offense is going to be really good. And then, once we get to the playoffs, this is the first time since – honestly, since Michael Jordan was in the league with the Bulls, the, the West, at the top at least, is not as good as the East. Like, there's not a monster in the West. There's not a single team that I look at in the West that I can't pick apart and say, like, yeah, this is going to be their downfall. Now that certainly applies to the Mavs because the Mavs could lose to anyone, and I think Xavier said this in the in the Slack earlier, and he's right. They could beat any team in the West, and they could lose to any team in the West. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's, which is frustrating. But I mean, when you when we go look at it, I, I've seen a lot of people on the internet that are acting like a, a Lakers Nets Finals is a foregone conclusion, and joking about it being the like 2014 All Star game. But the Lakers are not as good as everyone acts like they are. They are going to miss Contavious Caldwell Pope and Alex. Caruso I think so too. Offense. Like yeah. they're like like. Casey There's a crazy. reason
2: we all freaked out when we thought Buddy Heald was going to the Lakers because, despite like Russell Westbrook probably being a better overall basketball player, Buddy Heald makes the makes the Lakers unguardable.
1: Yeah. See. So I I gotta have a, a small Russell Westbrook breakdown here. Um I hate what analytics has done to the sport in one sense, and that people are really quick to just say Russell Westbrook is, you know, like a lot of the analytics people, Russell Westbrook's terrible, he's terrible, he's terrible. He's not a terrible basketball player. He's legitimately one of the he's exciting, yeah. yeah. He's probably one of the 20-ish best basketball players in the world. That being said, he doesn't contribute to winning in a manner that is consistent with his talent yep. and with how well and how hard he plays. He just can't limit himself. He's never yeah. been able to limit his bad habits. And so that's that's one of the things where I just hate when people are like, oh, he's terrible. He's not terrible. That, that's not the answer. And that's where we simplify things too much. And we look at, you know, efficiency and shooting and hypothetical, just, you know, oh, this 3 and D guy is better than, you know, Russell Westbrook who does everything. And are his triple doubles a little overrated? Probably. But he is still a really, really good basketball player. And when we mentioned we had the roundtable about, you know, what game to go watch. If you go watch the Lakers game, if you see him play, his manic energy that he plays with if you see it in in person it is really really interesting to watch him just how hard that guy plays is he just i think that's part of the reason people think he's more athletic than he is like Whoa. he's insanely athletic it's the same he, reason
2: i want goran dragic because yeah. goran dragic also plays like an absolute lunatic all the time and and certain element you know it doesn't work for every team but certain teams need that like the Wizards last year needed his manic energy they did I'm not sure the Lakers do I don't know where it contributes so I overarchingly I agree with your point about the West being very open which goes you know and I don't want to get into this because the offseason is over but this is why some of us were so pissy that the Mavericks like the big offseason acquisition was Reggie Bullock for now and you know that That doesn't mean that we think they're going to be bad. It just means that a lot of us felt that there was a real opportunity for the Mavericks to go solidify themselves as a top three team. Should they've been able to do something creative? And instead they roll back the same team with Reggie block, which might be really good. It's just at that point, we're kind of looking at a season where we're, you know, it's Josh is going to be really funny about this all year. He just wants to get to April already for the playoffs where we're looking at you know at what point do the Maverick shortcomings catch up with them? Because yeah. sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like there are some championship seasons where it just doesn't matter. Like the the Lakers, you know, when they won a three-peat, they had two of the best players in the world, then a bunch of guys who are beh in some instances. But
1: yeah. they had the two best players in the world. Who cares? Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. You actually just reminded me of something when you were talking about that. So when I talked about uh like a secondary player and doing all that. One of the things that we do with Luka that is a little frustrating to me is that we turn our offense into a series of if-then statements, mm. which which makes sense when you have a player like Kawhi, who Kawhi is a fantastic basketball player, but the weakest part of his offensive game is playmaking. And the Clippers made him into an effective pick-and-roll playmaker by giving him a series of if-then statements of, you run this pick-and-roll, and then if the defense does this and you pass it here, mm-hmm. if the defense does this and you pass it here. The Mavs' pick and high pick-and-roll offense and the way they ran it basically turned that into Luka. You don't need to do that for Luka, though. Luka thrives in chaos. Yep. He has the best court vision in basketball. Like, I mean, somebody might get mad at me for saying that's hyperbole. It's not. No, it's not.
2: He, it's ha- not. he has. It's him and LeBron.
1: Best- yeah, he has the best court vision in basketball. And he thrives in doing just weird stuff that people don't expect. Like, if you look at a lot of his highlights and things, is – It's just doing cool stuff when the play breaks down. It's his weird fakes and then, you know, just weird passes and little NBA glitch passes and things that he makes. And so I'm hopeful this is another thing with kid. I don't think that we're obviously any offense with Luka is going to be very heavily based on on a high spread pick and roll. That's just it's his it is his greatest talent and it makes sense to do so. That being said, I think we are going to do some more weird stuff this year. I think we're going to post him more, which I love seeing Luca in the mm-hmm. post because kid because kid was also a very post like a post to pass uh, player. And when he played a lot, he posted a lot, and so I think we will see. I think we'll see Luca in the post a good bit, which is a lot of fun. And then you know, I just I hope that we have more movement away from the the pick and roll, and that is something that, like I said. I hope we see. There's
2: this. uh There's this guy on uh Instagram. His his handle is Big Bad underscore Mac. He's like he he's a huge man. He's like you. He's like a you know he's he I mean, he's, he likes to play guard and likes to play bully ball because he's he's like not like you're in shape. Like this guy's kind of yeah. kind of chunky. And I saw, I was watching videos of him last night posting like people up and pickup ball. And that's what Luca looks like posting up almost everyone who guards him. And it just makes me laugh so much because dudes just fly off him. His post up game is, it's straight out of middle school basketball. He does nothing interesting. He lowers a shoulder, leans, does a hook. Sometimes he spins and hits the dirt fade, which is actually really cool. I don't want to undervalue that. But it's not like he's doing, you know, incredibly complex fancy footwork he's just beating the shit out of players and it's really fun to watch
1: (laughs) yeah no i love that which also that reminds me it is a crime that kp has not learned a fadeaway jumper at some point in his life
2: because there's no balance he doesn't have the balance it's too high his hips are in his elbows
1: it's just it's funny to me because one of the things if you watch uh dirk like being a long-term fan if you watch dirk's warm-up he took so many weird shots and warm ups. Like he did stuff that was just, if you watch it, you're like, what in the hell is he doing? Like he would spin and pirouette and do stuff like that. And then when you watch Porzingis, every warm up shot he takes, every single one, he is straight up and down. Like if you watch, if you go watch him, he never fades mm-hmm. at all. And so then occasionally you'll see him try a fadeaway in the game and he never has the touch on him that you would expect. And, like, I talked to Brennan about it and they're like, well, why does his fadeaway not work? I'm like, because he never practices him. And so that's that. But, yeah, Luca in the post is just, it works. And he just overpowers people. And, you know, Shaq overpowered people. Overpowering people, it it may not look exciting and it may not get you on a, quote, unquote, like a, a real hooper versus, you know, whatever it may not make those people basketball happy, but player, it works. <laughs>
2: but it <laughs> work. It does. It works, and and that's that's going to be kind of the nature of of the Maverick season next year. And I think it's kind of why certain people who have covered the team with for years are a little bit bored. Like I think our our, my, my, uh, our former editor of Mas Moneyball, Tim Cato, is. I think he's really tired of the sports scene generally, and you, I, but he's also he's watched a lot of the same stuff now for three years. And then before that, it's just. And, and you know, some people really – I really love the consistency, even though I gripe about the team. So I'm really looking forward to kind of the grind of basketball. I know you are too. Um, and then somehow, somehow, someway, we've already talked for 30-plus minutes. And I should go back to work, but do you have anything else that uh, you want to get off your chest before we get
1: out of here? Uh, yeah, just the last thing with that, with being excited, is you talked earlier about how special Luca is and getting to see people. This is like, Luca, I think, is going to have distinct points of his career. This is the young Luca. Like, he's going to have a Stone Cold Killer phase when he's a little older. And I'm not sure. I think we probably have this year and maybe one more where he's precocious young kid Luca. And Mm -hmm. since he's going to be a player that you tell your grandkids that you saw and everything, make sure that you enjoy the young Luca too, because they're all going to be different things to enjoy. And so that that is what I would say just make sure that that we enjoy this ride while we're getting to take it because it's not promised that it'll stay. Forever. Oh god, yeah. Yeah,
2: I couldn't agree more. Well, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I've mentioned this on other podcasts. I'm gonna mention it going forward. First thing I want everyone to do that is even mildly interested in our podcast is go download green room, look me up at Kirk Henderson35. We go live on Friday afternoons, we go live after games. Uh I know a lot of people heard those podcasts. The post game green rooms ended up being really fun, um, and not just because the Mavericks were winning a lot. But there's something about it, it, you know, it's there's something about talking through some of the frustrating parts of the game that were a lot better than writing about it or just sort of stewing. Like I ended up most of the time last year, kind of sleeping better after games because I wasn't so full of of just like frustration about specific things. We have a really good time talking about the game on green room. Um, And then, you know, second is I will do my best to have Matthew and other people from our site on the podcast more regularly. Um, I think Josh and I are both uh, we love talking to each other and we end up talking longer than we mean to every time we get online. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of voices and we want people to have the opportunity to be on here. So Matthew will be one of them. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was fun. All right. This has been Kirk Henderson and Matthew Phillips for MavsMoneyBall.com. Please uh, subscribe, rate, review, and we will talk to you guys in a couple of days.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.